For logbook servicing you can rely on, you need to make the right choice. You need trained professionals who are fully qualified to service your car according to manufacturer's specifications. For real peace of mind and a nationwide warranty, book in or book online at repcoservice.com. Here's some tips for maintaining your Trex deck. Um, occasionally wash it with some soapy water or a pressure cleaner. Trex composite decking is low maintenance and won't fade, splinter or warp. Trex, the world's number one decking brand. Big talk, big opinions, the panel. Right, uh, the panel today consists of uh, Jamie Wall and Aidan McLaughlin. And uh, Jamie Wall, uh, we touched base on Saturday night uh, prior to uh, the kickoff between the All Blacks and the Wallabies, uh, which uh, concludes the home segment of uh, 2022. What's your overall opinion, mate? Yeah, morning, Smithy. Good to see you on Saturday night. Morning, Aidan. Uh, overall opinion is that, well, if you look back at the same situation last year, sorry, the situation last year was actually more or less the same as that the All Blacks had been a little bit shaky, they ended up winning the rugby championship um, and then went into an end of year tour that didn't pan out the way that they wanted it to and we had a whole summer of talking about whether the coach should lose his job and I kind of feel like we're back in that same situation again I mean, well done to the All Blacks for winning um, the Rugby Championship and uh, doing it in pretty emphatic fashion on Saturday night at Eden Park. It was a very typical uh, Eden Park test match uh, where the, the All Blacks had pretty much sewn it up after about half an hour. Um, or the Wallabies clearly have a, a massive mental block about about playing there, um, which is why they haven't won there for you know almost four decades. Uh, and you saw... Another situation um, on Saturday night, uh, in the midfield at least, um, where uh, an injury um, permutation meant that we got uh, a, a midfield co- or, a, or a, a positional comp- uh, a positional situation um, that worked out really well because uh, I thought Jordy Barrett had a really really good game and kind of like the front row uh, that we, we've got this year with Degroot and Lomax playing really good football and then Takiaho as well. Uh, that was kind of a situation that wasn't really manufactured. It was just kind of thrust upon the All Blacks. So a few things have just been happening uh, more rather, rather than accident, rather than design. Uh, and I'd, I'd like it now if we just saw, sort of saw a bit more design out of the All Blacks. Like the bits are there and they're kind of smoothing off those rough edges that make them a team that's more of a threat to anybody but I still think, and, and I've said this before on the show, that I still think it's all going to come down to that game against England at Twickenham, and then we can really measure uh, what sort of chance the All Blacks are going to have in next year's World Cup. OK, um, Aidan McLaughlin, good morning to you. Stuart Barnes saying that none of those Northern Hemisphere teams will be uh, at all worried about uh, the prospect of facing the All Blacks this time around. What do you make of that? Yeah, morning, Smithy. Morning, Jamie. Um, well, I think he's right. I think that uh, if you look at the All Blacks record this year, they've, they've played nine, they've won five, and they've lost four. Um, and I think the fear factor has gone. The fear factor that those Northern Hemisphere uh, teams held for many years when they played the All Blacks, whether home or especially away, has now has now gone. So I think uh, Wales, Scotland, and England will all think they've got a, a crack. Um, 
I think that England match at the end, uh, as Jamie alludes to, will be the, the, the real defining moment of the year. Um, because if they if they win three, if they beat Japan, Wales and Scotland, but they lose that game, then it will be another painful summer, I think, for All Blacks fans and a worrying one for Ian Foster and co. Okay, um, interesting. Uh, let's just, uh, can we move on to uh, one of the other things that happened on uh, Saturday Jamie, Saturday afternoon in particular, you were there for both games, of course. You had to cover um, the, the women's game as well and the press conferences, etc. Um, I looked at the crowd at the start, and I think that's always a good indication um, as to a following. When people want to go and genuinely watch two events, if they go for the start of the first one, they're generally interested. I'm not sure that crowd was that encouraging, bearing in mind the Rugby World Cup is around the corner. W- what did you make of that? Yeah, I, I have to agree. Uh, it was a little bit disappointing um, uh, to see that sort of turnout for a Blackfriars team that's, what, a couple of weeks away from their World Cup campaign starting at, at, at Eden Park. Um, there's, there's just a, a pretty big conversation to be had about the concept of double-headers of playing the Blackfriars and, and the All Blacks on at the same time. Um, there's pros and cons. Uh, to both, but the the pro being that by the end of the women's game, you're going to have a pretty decent number of people in there, but the con being that the, most of those people are just there to see the All Blacks. And so it's going to be really difficult to build some sort of, you know, decent following of the Black Ferns if they're always tethered to the All Blacks, but not in a way that, that they're, they're truly sharing that brand. Um, I've always been an advocate that if they are going to wear the same jersey and play on the same on the same fields that they they simply just become one big unit one big team that are called the all blacks the all blacks men and the all blacks women um themselves and then they share all their marketing um together and the the entire experience is sold as one big package rather than a curtain raiser and a main event um i mean the game the game itself was went exactly the way that you know we thought it was going to. Um, it, it helps that the Black Ferns are about twice the size of the, the poor Japanese players that they were playing against. Uh, and but the good thing is, is that they did exactly what we wanted to see out of them, which was have a really good hit out, um, get the ball into Portia Woodman's hands. She didn't disappoint and managed to get over seven times, which is pretty cool. Uh, and hopefully, it's just sort of drummed up a little bit of excitement um, about their upcoming game. I think they're going to get a good crowd there for the first game because really what this Women's World Cup um, comes down to is the first day and the last day and if they can get decent crowds for both then I think they can tick they can tick that box because a lot of what's going to happen in between um, is going to be pretty immaterial to to the games itself and, and as the tournament goes on they can build some hype around the Blackburn's inevitable showdown with either uh, England or France or even both um, and the fact that because it's a World Cup, it's really just going to come down to one game that the Black Smiths play um, in the, in the, at the business end of the tournament. And I, I give them, uh, based on what I've seen this year and the progress that I've made, I'll give them every chance of winning that game. OK, uh, Aidan McLaughlin, I'll give you a crack at that um, after the break. We're going to take a short uh, a short spell with uh, Araha with the news and uh, then we'll come back with uh, Jamie Wall, Wall and uh, Aidan McLaughlin on a number of other issues as well. Big talk, big opinions, the panel. 
Jamie Wall and Aidan McLaughlin with us this morning. And Aidan, yes, uh, attendance for the women's game, uh, particularly early, was a little bit concerning. So too, though, Aidan, and uh, we're both Hawks Bay people. We know what the Ranfurly Shield can do to a local crowd, uh, upwards of seven and eight for Hawks Bay at times. Wellington apparently only got around 3,000 people. I cannot fathom that. Yeah, so I was I was watching the uh, the, the Blackburns game and kind of flicking between that and the Ranfurly Shield game. And to, to Jamie's uh, point earlier, yeah, I thought it was a disappointing attendance for the for the Black Ferns, but even more so for the um, for the Wellington match. Now, I think the mitigating factors, if you can call them that, is that it was a pretty horrible day weather-wise in Wellington, um, which kept a, a lot of people away, perhaps that walk-in, walk-up crowd. And then the All Blacks kickoff was at 7.05, so I think a lot of people thought, well, if I go to... Sky Stadium, I'm going to struggle to get home or get to a pub to watch the game. So those seem to be the mitigating factors coming out of um, out of Wellington. But it, whatever way you look at it, three or 4,000 people for the first defence of a Renfrewly Shield um, is disappointing. I mean, it's hard to spin it any other way. It just seems that people have just... Uh, just aren't that interested, really. I mean, you know, you, I genuinely thought they'd be up near 10,000. Perhaps I was just really over-optimistic, but I guess I was looking at, at it, Smithy, from our perspective, where we get that seven, 8,000 on a regular basis, and if you can have a first shield defence, surely that's the bumper one. Yeah, I, I, it got, it's got me baffled, actually. Not only that, this is a Wellington side that is also atop their conference in the NPC. It's not like that was a fluke or anything and they thought they'd lose it to Waikato. I mean, this is a side playing some pretty good damn rugby, so uh, it was a, a bit concerning for me. I'd say concerning is uh, probably a word too for Wellington rugby. OK, let's um, move on to uh, what happened on Sunday, of course, which was 35,000-plus turning up to watch uh, the All-Whites play, uh, Jamie Wall. And uh, now the question is... Danny Hay, uh, will he be retained as uh, our national coach? Well, the the, the scuttlebutt is, is no um, that he's he's, he's going to they're going to mutually part ways. Um, so I wouldn't be surprised if that if if that happens. Uh, I, I'm un, my understanding is that uh, Danny is uh, just a bit disillusioned at the fact that there doesn't seem, didn't seem to be any plan for the awards for the next sort of couple of years leading into the next World Cup cycle that, that, that New Zealand football simply were happy to just um, bide their time and wait for the next qualification um, cycle to begin. Uh, and given that the next World Cup is going to expand out to 48 teams, that the the qualification is, is almost, almost assured. Uh, so uh, I think that from what I'm hearing that he, he's pretty frustrated at that, the fact that there doesn't seem to be anything lined up um, for the All-Whites. Uh, we saw a press release yesterday from um, Andrew Pregnall saying that they were going to, uh, you know, they, 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 the plan was to have the All-Whites playing games in New Zealand as, as often as possible. Now, that's all well and good to say that. How they're actually going to make it happen, given that, that uh, Sunday was the first time that they'd played Australia and New Zealand for 12 years. Uh, you know who they're going to be bringing down. Um, what kind of what kind of level of competition we're going to be we're going to be seeing? Um, whether the All Whites are all going to be available? Whether they're going to be able to pick a top ranked side? Uh, all that's unanswered. So it's it's just a real shame because you can see the passion and enthusiasm that New Zealand football the New Zealand football community have when the All Whites do actually find to play them. And thirty five thousand that's a great crowd. 
for what wasn't a, wasn't the most fantastic day in Auckland um, on Sunday. It certainly helped that they were playing against Australia and um, you know uh, players that a lot of people who follow the A League would, would recognise. But yeah, it's just it's just annoying because you know you'd think given that they're they're almost assured of qualifying for the next World Cup that they'd want to put all their chips um, onto the All Whites going forward to make them a real force, not just on but off the field uh, as well, and and sell some shirts and and get some real name recognition around the guys that uh, aren't Chris Wood. This is interesting for me, um, Aidan, because I'll tell you why. The tenure, the most of the tenure Danny Hay has had under this particular job with the All Whites has been COVID-restricted. Danny Hay went to, and spent a lot of time overseas himself arranging pre-World Cup warm-up games. He put almost put together that schedule single-handed as he visited countries because he was out of the country. He had the, the ability to be able to do that. Um, and now, of course, uh, things are a lot freer. We can get games at home. You know, the, the squad is a young one, which he's put together. I'm not quite sure there's got to be something behind the scenes that just is stopping this from being automatic, a lay-down mazir. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, if uh, if New Zealand football really wanted to extend Danny Hayes' contract, they would have, and they were happy with everything that was going on, whether on the pitch or off the pitch or, you know, whatever's going on, um, they would have made moves well before now. They would not have waited to the end of his contract uh, to even acknowledge it, really, because uh, the, the the statement that Jamie referred to from, from Pregnant yesterday was really the first acknowledgement there's been. So um, Hay is clearly frustrated. New Zealand football are very quiet. Um, my, if I was a betting man, which I am, um, I wouldn't be putting money on Hay being retained. Um, I think they are probably looking elsewhere already and probably have been for a while. Um, the reasons for that, we may never know, uh, because... When Chris Wood comes out uh, on Sunday, as he did, and he is, uh, you know, spoke very uh, passionately about the fact that they should look to re- retain Hay. I guess you, know, you could say, what else is he going to say? But um, he he indicated that he and the dressing room were behind Hay. Um, and really, I think had that not been said, I don't think Pregnant would have even come out yesterday. I think they would have kept quiet completely. I think it's only that Chris Wood, who is very respected, has actually. <laughs> said something on Sunday. I think that's the only reason that anything was mentioned yesterday and yeah, I just I just don't see him being retained to be honest with you. Right, uh, it's interesting. I, I, I'm, I'm the same. I think it would have been in black and white by now, but uh, it clearly is uh, a long way away from that. Uh, Jamie, um, interesting, uh, some changes in world cricket going forward uh, and uh, one of the most controversial ones uh, already we haven't seen an example of in a women's international match. Um, and uh, that didn't take long for Deepthi Sharma to mancad Sophie Dean, um, and uh, there are all sorts of tears and dismay and that sort of thing. But as now, you can do that. What, what did you make? What did you make of uh, that particular event and the mancad going forward? Well, you always could do it. Like this is what I don't understand is, is about this whole thing. Like it's called mancad. For a reason, because a guy called Mancad did it back in the like, what was it, nineteen fifties, right? Like it's always been out. Uh, I, 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 I'm starting to get my head around this, and like, uh, uh, this is interesting for me because I've had this conversation with a few people when you talk about women's sport, and you talk about how, uh, in order to be seen in the same light as men's sport, you kind of actually need stuff like this to happen. And I always thought that 
women's cricket would attain the same level of interest as men's cricket when the first woman got done for match fixing, right? I feel like this could is, is almost kind of in the same way because you've got this cheating controversy going on, or at least it's been framed up as, as cheating or, or, or against the spirit of the game, which you never really see in women's, women's sport. And it, it's bringing a whole lot of attention to it because everyone's got an opinion on this. I mean, my own opinion is that uh, you should know that getting run out at the non-strikers end is a thing and you should keep your bat down, especially in uh, a game of that magnitude uh, in the circumstances that, that was happening. Um, personally, I think that the English uh, players are using the fact that um, there's a lot of sympathy for them to kind of to their advantage when really they should just be coming up and just being saying, like, hey, yeah, it's out. Like, we lost the game. She shouldn't have... She shouldn't have done that. She has every right to be upset uh, about it, um, but she should be upset at herself more than anything else. There's nothing wrong with man kids. There never has been. There's no reason for you to uh, warn anyone about it. Um, it's just because of some ridiculous convention that back in the day that that is seen as unsporting, uh, whereas any other way of getting out isn't. And, you know, there's a bit of a broader discussion to be had considering that it's been named after an Indian player and it's mostly associated with Indian players and that an English team is upset about it. But, you know, we don't have time to get into that right now. OK, uh, Aidan, I'll give you uh, a little bit of time to have your thoughts on it. <laughs> well, th- there was some great analysis done by a guy called Peter De La Pena from ESPN Quick Info over the last uh, 36 hours or so. And he had a look at Charlie Dean at the non-striker's end, and he realised that she had left her crease 73 times, including that final ball where she was actually, you know, run out. Um, So that was 85% of all the balls that she was at the the non-striker's end, Um, which is basically five out of six balls. So so really the the biggest surprise to me is why didn't India do it a lot earlier? Um, You know, they got to the final wicket of the the match and they needed to... uh, to do something because it was looking very much like England were going to get up despite there only being one wicket left. So, you know, they, they, they took their opportunity. And as Jamie says, there's no reason to give a warning. It's in the laws of the game. I have no issue with it. Um, yeah, it's just more of a surprise to me that uh, it wasn't done a lot earlier. And frankly, you know, as we said a couple of weeks ago, when Bernard Foley did not kick that ball out, um, if Charlie Dean had just stayed in her crease, there's no issue here. 73 mm. times? I'm sorry. It's ridiculous. Okay. Uh, Adam McLaughlin and Jamie Wall have been very worthy panellists this morning on uh, a number of issues, and I thank them for their participation. Yes, sir. Charlie Dean, Ian, not Sophie Dean. You should have known that. For logbook servicing you can rely on, you need to make the right choice. You need trained professionals who are fully qualified to service your car according to manufacturer's specifications. For real peace of mind and a nationwide warranty, book in or book online at repcoservice.com.